Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that simply everything has its own history, like roses, loss, or carrion. Or aunts, uncles, cousins, mums, dads, grandparents, births, deaths and marriages. Yes, indeed. We'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew that the history of blankets, yes, the history of blankets, is in fact all about American atrocities, World War I, the history of nursing and domesticity, communication and neediness. Neediness is all about comfort blankets. I'm going to do the history of neediness. I'm starting to write down the ideas that we come up with them, so I'm just going to do that right now. Neediness. While the history of the potato, your ordinary spud, is in fact all about trade, famine, migration, inner-city squalor, it's a fashion statement on the table, and it's also about exploitation. <laughs> That's very good. Literally uh, making it up as we go along. <laughs> the, um, we're going to do the, the history of the family. He is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, Sam. The man sitting opposite me is the mild-mannered janitor of the archives. <laughs> <laughs> It's the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> Did you watch Hong Kong Fooey as a child? Ooh, I... Yes, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Lots of ticker tape. It's all about paper. Right. <laughs> Why did you start talking and about that? Kung Fu dogs. Oh, I see. Right. Yes. Does anyone know what he's talking about? No. Please help me. There are people, people who, um, who watched it would know. Oh, he I was see. a mild-mannered janitor who turned oh, into okay. a... Hong Kong Fooey, the superhero dog. I see, I see. So you are the mild-mannered janitor of the archives. You're the person that looks... I mean, you don't sweep around the archives, but you you look after... You're the custodian of the archives. But I could have become the Hong Kong Fooey of the archives. That's it. I should have said the Hong Kong Fooey of the archives. <laughs> yes. yes. No, it's good, though. It's um, it's like kind of slightly superhero-y. Yes, exactly. And, right. And, Come and on. Canine. Come on. Yes. Come on. Where are we? The, the family. Yeah, why are we doing the history of the family? Because it's Christmas time and Christmas is all about family. Mm, that's true. And you asked us to do it. And yeah, um, it's particularly interesting. It is. And um, I have written books and teach courses all about the history of the family. That's right, because I suggested to you we do the history of the family and then you rolled your eyes and said, I've written books and teach horses. And I thought, <laughs> oh, God. So, Sam, where do we start with the family? Well, the family. Um, I... Uh, we're going to, yeah, I got into the history of the family because I'm doing this six-part series for National Geographic called Relics of China. Huh. And we did an entire episode on the history of the family in China. Goodness me, tell us about that. Very interesting. Well, I'm going to tell you about it in a minute. Okay. Because I've got other stuff to talk to you about first. I'm going to, I'm going to finish with that because uh, it's really, really cool and exciting. So we're going to build up to it. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, I come, come at the family from my work on letters. Mm. And I teach a brilliant third-year module at the University of Plymouth. Uh, any of you heading to Plymouth, 
in the next few years as undergraduates uh, should all sign up and take it. It's brilliant. But he looks at the history of the family across the early modern period. So from sort of late um, 1400s through to 1800 and looks at all manner of things to do with the family. Um, how the how approaches to the family have changed, how we look at the family, different elements of the family. And we've looked at this in the past when we've looked at things like love and children. It looks at emotions like death, attitudes towards death, the great big sort of changes. And, of course, working on early modern women, uh, the family was where a lot of women were situated yeah. within the family. That's how they, they they achieve power and agency, and it's oh, see, where yeah. they it's where they live their their ordinary lives. So, um, but for me, uh, family is all about Christmas, but it's all about anger and conflict. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to be talking about. A little bit of Samuel Pepys may crop up. A little bit of Netflix watching mm. as a sort of way to sort of get into it. Okay, so your anger and conflict. I'm going to start up off with a um, a sad theme. Oh, good. As well, I'm going to, because we're writing our book on the unexpected history of World War II. Yes. One of the chapters I'm writing is on darkness. Ooh. And one of the things that happened in darkness. So the blackout. Streets yes. go black. Streets go dark. And historians are not entirely sure whether crime actually went up, but the fear of crime certainly went up oh, in, the, in the darkness, which is really interesting. So people are ironically safer from bombing attack, but they feel more vulnerable to threat from from each other. I bet they do. There's something about darkness and not knowing what's around you, isn't there? Yeah. Anyway, so I started looking into this and, and I found a wonderful article um, called Crime in Wartime England, which is written in 1941 by an American. So it's an American academic uh, called Herman Mannheim. And he is very interested in what's happening in America because I think everyone's quite worried about whether the war is going to be exported. And this is also with the family because it's all linked with crime. And what they, he does is he studies the um, crime rates um, in England as far as they could work out what the hell was going on particularly during the Blitz. Now, at the early part of the war, one of the things that happened was these immense population movements. So they're kind of population movements with almost an unprecedented extent in the UK. So you've got millions of men called up to serve for service, but then you've got even larger numbers of civilian workers, employees, officials, male and female, who have all have to be kind of shifted around and moved. And this has a massive impact on family life. And he starts his article with some really powerful figures. The following figures were published for November the 2nd, 1939. Unaccompanied schoolchildren. Here we are. The following figures were published for November the 2nd, 1939. Unaccompanied schoolchildren, 750,000. Goodness mate, that's a lot of unaccompanied schoolchildren. Mothers and young children, 542,000. Expectant mothers, 12,000. Other persons, 77,000. Total, 1,381,000. And I think what's important is that everyone is, is on the move and that everyone is having their own kind of personal experience of family breakup. This is a breakup occasioned by war. Breakup. Fathers, sons, yeah. grandparents being away, grandfathers being off fighting. And one of the things that this guy is writing about is particularly interested in adolescent crime. Right. Um, he's, these are kids who are growing up who don't have mother figures, they don't have father figures, they're, they're essentially running wild. For adolescents over school age, the closing of the majority of clubs, hostels, Sunday schools, evening institutes and so forth in evacuation areas um, has proved very detrimental. At the end of February 41, out of 260 boys clubs, only 121 remained operational. Playing fields converted into allotments uh, and on and on and on. So the point is that the 
the opportunities for constructive leisure have gone and the crime rates for kids this age absolutely short. It's like something like 60 percent. Particularly in the public shelters, there's violence. Mm. Um, there's a real problem with with youth crime um, and kids essentially running wild at this stage of the war. Now, the way that the war's also experienced is is visible in, in photographs as well as kind of uh, documents like this where you can actually look at figures. And there are some really powerful uh, images of growing up in the in the Second World War. Here we are. Yes, um, I just wanted to, to draw your attention to a photograph here. This is from the collections of the of the Imperial War Museum, and it's titled "Open Air Sewing Class," and it's of girls from St George's Church of England School in Battersea taking part in an open air sewing class in Pembrokeshire, in Wales, in 1940. Uh, now, part of the problem here was the school buildings being uh, damaged or requisitioned for war use and a shortage of, of decent places to actually conduct school lessons. So a lot of them happened outside. Um, and all those, this, this affects the, the way people experience growing up. It's particularly the impact on the family, which has really yeah. kind, of, kind of struck me. And, and I don't know how much we actually know about that. Um, but I'm sure that there's there's all sorts of wonderful history there and the way it was experienced. One of the things that strikes me about that is also, and also particularly with the crime rates, is that it it's part of a series of studies that have unpicked this idea that Britain during the world during World War Two was this very sort of cohesive society that was clubbing together in, in jointly in this war effort, and as you pull it apart. So many of these sort of rose-tinted images that we have of a country pulling together like that slowly fade away, you know. And rather than you know children being part, you know, adolescents being part of the of the war effort and getting involved in you know local activities, and I'm sure lots were. You've got here a sort of you know delinquents, yeah. juvenile delinquents, basically taking advantage of the situation with. You know, the with the absence of male authority figures and and mothers being pulled in to do all sorts of things. That's what, certainly the impression you get from the American author. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. it's like the society is rotting from the inside. It's yeah. kind of crumbling inside yeah. upon itself from the pressures of war. It's like a he's writing this in forty one as a warning yeah. as to what what will happen. And although he doesn't directly reference the family, the the underlying theme is unmistakable. This will happen. Your families will break up. Crime will yep. rise. Your kids will not be educated. Um, and you know it's pretty much the end of the world, as he can yep. say. And one of the things I've been doing about World War II is a chapter on mothers, uh, in particular. We've done about, a podcast on mothers. We've done we? a podcast on mothers. Everyone, go and listen to the podcast on mothers. It's brilliant. We did it specially for Mother's Day. Mm. Um, happy Mother's Day to mothers for Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> but what, what was interesting about this was that it was looking at unmarried mothers. So women who were have it, who were getting pregnant outside of marriage, and society's opinion about that. Basically, structurally, you have women who are you have got periods where men are, are fighting during the war, and so you've got a range of reasons why women are getting pregnant. Either it's that men away are away and they're sleeping with other people. Um, they've um, not got married in time before they've had sex and so the babies are being born and the husbands get get killed you've got a sort of rise in illegitimacy so children born without married couples and this is frowned upon by society at the time and there's one account an oral history account of a woman who is a senior who is fairly high up in the the civil service coming back to work 
and you know, more or less gets away with it quite brazenly, um, but has a note from her employer basically saying that if that happens again, you will be fired. Mm. And other women are find that they are sacked from their jobs because of this. Mm. There are you look at how this takes place in how this is accepted and viewed within families, and some women are treated appallingly. There's one family where they try and track the husband down or the father down, and the father is from a sort of a much higher social class. Has basically made this young girl pregnant, refuses to marry her, and so her own mother basically puts her in the workhouse hmm. to look after her. So it's again, it's how it's how something like the like the World War like that creates the conditions that impose you know, sort of new constraints on family life. Yeah, and the stress and strange... I, I, there's another photo here that made me stop, particularly, because it, it's a a staged image of a family, a husband and a wife, and kid who's probably about six there, and then a, maybe a two-year-old, he's got a two-year-old sister, all sitting around in a prefabricated home. So because of all of the homes being damaged, because of so many people moving moving house out of no choice of your own was, was a major experience, a, a very common experience during the war. And here they are sitting down and having a cup of tea and tucking into their food. Mm. They're not looking at the camera. It's supposed to be a kind of a, a, a snapshot of their lives. But the, the way, the relationship between the family and the family home is massively important. And, and even though the family unit is still there, which yep. in, in this case, they're lucky enough it is there and no one's died. Yeah. The, the kind of the structure within that, where that unit exists, in particular the home, the physical yep. the, the building yep. which frames that structure of the family, changed for so many people. And that that must be something that was unique to that period for the, for yep. the late 40s and the 50s. Yeah. I mean, I was chatting to uh, my next door neighbour the other day uh, oh, yes. who grew up in the Second World War and moved down to Exeter age 12 in about 1940. Yeah. And his reminiscences of the war are often about families. And I'm writing a chapter on the table for our book on World War II. So I got chatting to him about this, and I asked him whether he had a Morrison shelter inside. And he said, no, when we were in London, what we used to do was we used to just come downstairs and crouch under the kitchen table. Hmm. Um, and so you get, you've got this sense of, of him in his family home. And the table, the kitchen was quite damp. And so rather than sort of stay downstairs, his mother sort of said, well, you might as well take your chances and go back to bed if we get a direct hit. So they, him and his, he and his brother went back upstairs to bed wow. um, in the middle of it. But you get this sort of sense in which a family cope here. You've got a mother, father yeah. who's away, mother who's, you know, who's left to parent by herself coping with, with the war. Yeah. And again, you're back to these kind of constraints on... You know, yeah, family life. And the sources of it, it's so interesting. Often people sort of think, oh, you're reading a diary. Someone's written yep. a diary, therefore you can find out about that person on yep. their own. But actually, through diaries or through photographs like this, we're very blessed in the 40s and there's so much material to yep. work for. But th there is another whole topic out there, and that is the family within which they live. Yes. So that so the diary, perfect example, actually, you can you can use that just to write about family history, or you can yes. write about what they do during the day. It's, a, it's, yep. a, it's another slice through time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, for, for the family, all kinds of sources can be used. You've, I mean, you've introduced sort of several here. One is to look at it from the perspective of crime statistics. The other is to look at it from photographs. You've then got literary sources like diaries and letters that I that I work on. If you're looking at family from a sort of demographic perspective, so you're looking at rates of marriage and birth and death, 
you know, going to census materials or parish registers where you've got statistics and you can crunch all of those changes. I'm, I'm drawing a graph um, <laughs> I can see that. In, in the air, which does not work well on a podcast. Um, but you can, map, you can map population statistics. Uh, Schofield and Wrigley's uh, population history is the Bible for population statistics in for for Britain, you know other other kinds of things. Material culture, it, you know, is something we've cracked on about. Diaries. You mentioned diaries. I want to I want to take us back to the family and Christmas mm. uh, via Samuel Pepys's diary. I know we use Samuel Pepys a lot, but he's one of one of our favourites. In fact, I met a six year old boy the other day who's in fact related to Samuel Pepys. Mm. I went into my daughter's school to talk about the Great Fire of London. And this little boy put his hand up and said, when I was talking about Samuel Pepys saving his wine and cheese and out in his pyjamas in the middle of the night, carting away all his stuff, the little boy put his hand up and said, did you know I'm related to Samuel Pepys? That was very, very <laughs> sweet. Anyway, come back to the, the point in hand, which is about the, the, the family at Christmas, which is what this is all about, really. And I want to read you an extract from Tuesday, the 25th of December, 1666. Christmas Day. Lay pretty long in bed and then rose, leaving my wife desirous to sleep, having sat up till four this morning, seeing her maids make mince pies. I to church, where our parson Mills made a good sermon, then home and dined well on some good ribs of beef, roasted and mince pies. Only my wife, brother and Barker and the plenty of good wine of my own and my heart full of true joy and thanks to God Almighty for the goodness of my condition at this day. And condition is his sort of his stones that he's got in, inside him. So, so you've got this sort of idea that it's a sort of it's a family feast, a family day. After dinner, I began to teach my wife and Barker my song. It is decreed, which pleases me mightily, as now I have Mr. Hinkston's bass. Then out and walked alone on foot to the temple, it being a fine frost, thinking to have seen a play all alone. But there, missing of any bills, concluded there was none. It's Christmas, Samuel Pepys. And so back home. And there, with my brother, reducing the names of all my books to an alphabet, which kept us till seven or eight at night. And then to supper, W. Hewer with us, and pretty merry, and then to my chamber to enter this day's journal only, and then to bed. My head a little thoughtful how to behave myself in the business of the victualling, which I think would be prudence to offer my service in doing something in passing the purser's accounts, thereby to serve the king, getting honour to myself, and confirm me in my place in the victualling, which at present yields not work enough to deserve my wages. It's a very nice Christmas sort of scene. It is a scene. So in his, there is his wife and his brother. Yes. Particularly, is there anyone else in that? There are friends that he's yeah. got there. Yeah, and and he has his, seems to have his sort of his little rituals that he wants. It's concerned with with food and with strolling out by himself. Yeah. So the Peeps family household. The Peeps family household. But I was talking about. I was going to talk about conflict. And Peeps's family is family life is all full of conflict. Um, you read the diary and. You know, he's constantly falling out with his wife. He's constantly bickering with servants. Um, he's a philanderer. Uh, he's also, you know, he's very sort of catty about all of his kin who come calling. And this made me think that, you know, we think of, of Christmas time as a time when the family comes together, but it's often a time of conflict. 
Yeah. Uh, those of you who have your Netflix, can I recommend to you a Christmas movie that I saw the other evening, which was called Love the Coopers, the Coopers Family Christmas, which is a, a an American Christmas comedy film uh, made in 2015. And it's now available for free should you subscribe to Netflix. And it is it's wonderful, wonderful cast with Diane Keaton, John Goodman, Alan Arkin. And it follows the overlapping experiences of different generations of this one family all coming together for Christmas. And they've all got their own problems. The main two characters, Sam and Charlotte, played by Diane Keaton and John Goodman, are about to divorce. and But basically they they are not announcing it to the family until the day after Christmas so that they can have one final family Christmas. Then there is a dysfunctional daughter who's never pleased them, who turns up, meets a soldier at the airport and brings him home, pretending he is her fiancé. Mm. There is then a, an old father who seems to be all alone and goes for goes every day of his life, goes to the one coffee shop where he gets chatting to this waitress whose own family life is, a, is a, an array of just chaos. There's another couple who are divorced and the children are uber dysfunctional. There's another woman who is the sister of the Diane Keaton character who gets arrested on Christmas Eve trying to put a... She's trying to buy her sister the perfect Christmas present, goes into a store and decides on this brooch, puts it in her mouth and tries to walk out without it uh, and is promptly stopped by the security guard. And then there is this um, this sort of this ride with her and a cop to this police station and that they all assemble on the on the household. The old father has a heart attack and goes and and, and then gets rushed off to hospital. It's an incredible I mean I make it sound like a sort of cha- chaotic film. It's it is quite chaotic, but it's it's a wonderful sort of quirky American cinema. Yeah. Um but it brings to life that the the sense that families are at Christmas time are forced together that family life is not always perfect and loving you know and that there is there is conflict and indeed anger mm. running through families which makes me think of a brilliant article uh, by the early modern historian Linda Pollock called anger and the negotiation of relationships in early modern England and what she's trying to do here is to approach the family not from the sort of traditional sentimental approach um, where we look at, you know, whether people love each other, you know, how how parents bring up their children, how people respond to death. But it is actually the value of studying anger within relationships. And it is seen as something that is actually, you know, it's actually something that is acceptable in early modern relationships to use anger as a way of dealing with frustrations that you have in relationships, so you can you can boil over and you're, bark. You're, at you're allowed to explode. You're allowed to explode, and there are some wonderful examples that she gives, <laughs> including one father. I'm going to enjoy these. One father ticking off his son. His son has basically is a sort of dissolute character and flees to the to the continent. <laughs> so we're we're talking here about um, and she. What one of the things she does is she goes through all the private papers of elite households, so members of the nobility and gentry, the kind of people who live in country houses where archives survive. And she cites an example of Nicholas Carew, um, Sir Nicholas Carew, who explodes in 1630 to his son Francis, who is a who basically has become bankrupt 
and flees England to avoid his creditors. And his father writes him the most splenetic, angry letter. Would not so wretchedly and carelessly have left your watch and seal behind you at Abbeville, next if your pride and to vain humour did not predominate in you, you would never have written from Paris to your wife to have her send you this here, your trunk with your uncut velvet cloak and your cloth suit and two new beaver hats and two new pairs of boots with such linen as she could conveniently send you as though all Paris and France had not sufficient to furnish you, provide and your proved and vain mind. But I know you will say that these things are very dear there, and that it did not save charges. Oh, stupefied judgment with pride and vanity. And it goes on, there's a catalogue of things. You know, people are just falling out all the time. Um, there's one other example that I wanted to that I wanted to share with you, which is one of my favourite my, one of my favourite sort of collections of papers and relationships from the 16th century, which is Elizabeth Bourne and her husband, Anthony Bourne. I think that we've talked about this in the past. But there's one example where she talks about her uh, meeting her husband on a trip from overseas and the way he approaches her, because he's basically asked her for to basically hand over the, her jointure, which is money that she brings into the marriage when in order to sustain her when she, you know, should he die. And she writes, um, with his dagger also drawn this while in hand, he fell out with her, railing, stirring and swearing, calling her a whore and all that naught is and saying further that he would with an abominable oath pull down her pride, he would make her before he left her to be glad to wear a free scown and before it his mistress, should lack, he would tear his wife's skin off her back. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, this is, this is... I mean, this is this is awful. He then threatens to blow up her house with her children in it. I mean, he's, he's locked up. You know, I mean, he's a real scandalous man. So the theme is, you know, the family coming together, but, you know, family... Stuff happens when the family comes together. Stuff happens. Yeah. And it, it's, quite an, it's quite an unnatural thing to bring everyone back together. It is. And this is actually what was at the heart of the Cooper's fam the Cooper's film. Yeah. So you had at the heart of it you had this mother that wanted to recreate the traditions um of childhood Christmases for her family that had grown up and and moved away. Yeah. And that in fact what you were doing is you were bringing people back in and forcing them into a preconceived set of traditions that they resented. Well, it's interesting you say that, um, that you know, the family moves away and then comes back for Christmas. What I'm going to say, I think we're going to move on to do the family part two. Oh, Because our, our time is up. Excellent. But um, for the next one, the family part two, I'm going to talk about the opposite of that. And that is families living all together all the time. And that is um, a really distinctive aspect of Chinese history. And they actually lived in distinctive houses all together all the time. And it's changed now. It's fragmented now. But the idea of families... The, the extended family. The, the extended yes. family. Um, and the, yeah. So um, I'm going to be talking about that, I think. We're going to come back and do an, a, a second hit of the family at some point. And I also want to talk about the way that families are divided at Christmas and and how that how that affects people, how, how that can be experienced. But for now, that was it. Well, James, what have we done today? 
We've done Samuel Pepys. We have. We've done rows and rifts. Yeah, we've done evacuees. We've done crime. We've done delinquency. We've done American interest in the British at the start of the war. We've done World War II revisionism. Mm. We've done why you should all come to the University of Plymouth and study <laughs> the history of the family with Professor Daybell. <laughs> Yes, we have. And, and there's there's clearly much more in this box of family history. There's tons. So let's, um, I think we should do that as well. And um, I think we should get people to get in touch with, with interesting stories of the family. I family bet stories. you've got some cracking ones. Yes. Because um, it's all to do with family history, isn't it? It's all yes. to do with... Um, we haven't, we haven't done, talked about genealogy. No, goodly gosh. Well, let's let's book in the family part two. Do you have any famous, famous people in your family that you're related to? There's Caesar, Napoleon, Ooh, George rubbish. Washington, Bodicea... And uh, did I say Caesar? Yeah, you did. Yeah. You what did. Was it? Caesar. The your Roman nose Caesar. is growing. Your yeah. nose is growing very long. And Pinocchio. I'm related to the. <laughs> have I said this before? The regicide, um, Walter Tyrrell. Sir Walter Tyrrell. Well, that doesn't who, me who killed um, William Rufus? Apparently. Mm. Listen, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference. And lots of you have already done so, but I want you to carry on. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast and you can tell all your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. You can follow Histories of the Unexpected on at Unexpected Pod. We are proud. We are super proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and a slew of other amazing shows. And you can find out more at what James and I have got planned with Histories of the Unexpected. You can find out about our big book and our small series of books and our superb live shows, which give us an intense amount of joy. It's wonderful meeting you all, and I want you all to come and see us at historiesoftheunexpected.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.